0: Yes, I think that when you have any kind of a recession or major kind of pandemic situation that we are in, I still feel that multifamily is a little more recession resistant if it's in the right markets.
1: Are you ready to change your life? Welcome to the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast, sponsored by Freedom Capital Investments and Berkwood Capital. Your hosts, Linda Brooks and Lisa Hill, are two dynamic multifamily investor syndicators who combined have more than 400 doors in their portfolio and growing. Join them on their journey as they show you it's never too late to get started in multifamily real estate investing, and they'll show you how to do it successfully as a passive investor. And now, here are your hosts... Linda and Lisa
2: hello again everyone welcome to another episode of the multifamily investor ladies podcast I'm Linda Brooks your co-host along with my fabulous co-host Ms. Lisa Hill hello
3: everybody we really appreciate you tuning in today if you've listened To even just one of our podcasts, you know that Linda and I are a pair of investor syndicators who invest in multifamily real estate, mainly in the Southeast, the Virginia, Carolinas, and Georgia, always looking for deals all over. And we strive to
2: bring deals with double digit returns for our passive investors. Hey, Lisa, do you own any stocks? (laughs) I own one or two, maybe. How about you, Linda? I own a few. I can't say that I really. I'm not that person that logs into my investment account, my brokerage account every day to track to see how the stock performed. But I own a few. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. All right. Our next guest is a familiar one. Sanjia Sesadri is CEO of Multifamily For You, a Dallas-Fort Worth-based real estate investment firm. Sandia has been doing this for two decades and has invested in one capacity or another, i.e. passive investor, general partner, key sponsor, and over 3,500 doors totaling over $200 million in real estate asset value.
3: Ooh, Sandja, can we call you a professional passive investor? Not really you're an asset manager. You're a, I guess you're just a real estate professional, right? Who's here to tell us commercial real estate or stock market, which is better for my pocketbook. Welcome, Sanja. Welcome back, I should say.
0: Thank you so much, ladies, for having me. I really enjoy your show and your episodes. Great job on all the content. You pick very interesting topics each time and I love listening.
2: Thank you. We love having you.
3: Yeah, for sure. Well, Sanja, which is better for my pocketbook? Both stock market or commercial real estate?
0: I really think it depends on your goals and your tolerance for risk. That's the answer. So for example, all of us, whether we like it or not, are passive investors in the stock market. If you've ever had a job, they've probably put your retirement money in some mutual fund that you have no idea who's managing it, what's in it, et cetera, and your money automatically is in that fund. And so you are an investor in the stock market and you have no control over what, Happens in that fund compared to real estate. um, Again, there are also real estate funds and there are other ways to invest in real estate. But the way I like is to actually invest in apartment complexes bought by operators who I know, like and trust in locations and target markets where I think they're going to make money. The apartment location is very important to me, so you really have to study the target market. But let's just say that if you got the education you need on both the stock market, as well as this multifamily between the two, then it comes down to what are your investment goals? Do you need your cash to be readily available anytime that you want? Well, then it's money in the stock market because it's liquid. Mm -hmm. You can immediately cash it, even if you're gonna lose some money, hopefully there's still some money in it, And you get the money out to pay for an urgent expense. But real estate is a little more long-term, but it is also more stabilized. And if you pick the right markets and do your study, like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. it is going to provide ultimately better risk-adjusted returns, in my opinion. Again, for long-term, I recommend multifamily investments once you've thoroughly vetted your sponsors and you know your markets and the apartment deal analysis has been done thoroughly, where you know they're not overpaying for a property, and all of the other metrics meet your investment needs. For example, do you need more cash flow? Like a dividend stock would be a comparison to that. Mm. Or do you not Mm -hmm. need the cash flow right away, but you're looking more for appreciation? So in five years, I want my money to double, for example, as your metric in that case. You know, you accordingly choose the type of deal that meets that requirement. Between stocks and real estate, the volatility of the stock market, can you tolerate that? I have some friends who look at their stock portfolio on a daily basis and talk about how much money they lost or they made each day, but they don't actually cash it. So if you don't cash out your stock when it goes high, then you didn't really actually make money. It's all paper losses or paper gains. In real estate, at least in sure. my passive investments, which I have 17 of, I actually get periodic checks that tell me that the properties are doing well, the cash flow is nice to have. But the ones that completed a full cycle, my goodness, they actually made so much money for me. Never during that holding period of two to three years did I ever worry that my property is going to lose money. You know, I didn't have any of that volatility, any of those worries. Oh, this is Tesla stock. Okay, okay. That would have been fantastic if I had Tesla stock and held on to it. What about the, all the other millions of stocks mm-hmm. that have actually lost yeah, money? Yeah. So relative to that, I hear more about the good multifamily operators yeah. and the deals which have made money for their passive investors by because, again, I thoroughly vet my sponsors and my deals and education, I think, is key in both cases. To be a successful investor. Yes,
3: and you talked about education. You talked about doing due diligence about vetting your syndicator, vetting your operator, finding out exactly from other sources, talking to other people, talking to getting references, seeing portfolios, seeing how it operated, et cetera, et cetera. So those are all excellent pieces of advice. And and then we mentioned the benefits of the steadiness of the real estate market, in that we can look back to two thousand eight, and all the studies show that even in the worst of our economic times, the deep recession, multifamily real estate held in there. Mm-hmm.
2: It did, especially since during that time, a lot of people, unfortunately, um, lost their homes and were forced to move into rental units. And for the multifamily investor, that's an opportunity to increase their cash flow in terms of maintaining the value of the property. So yeah, even in the worst of times, multifamily real estate has maintained its value.
0: Yes, I think that when you have any kind of a recession or major kind of pandemic situation that we are in, I still feel that multifamily is a little more recession resistant if it's in the right markets. So the National Multifamily Housing Council published their rent data for fall of 2020 compared to the same time in 2019. See that rents only dropped overall rent collections by less than 2% same time year on year. If you think about most multifamily syndications and how they are underwritten, this is a very important metric that you wanna look for is economic occupancy. So that is a matter of not just the physical occupancy of, okay, how many tenants do I have occupying units and how many vacancies I have? Economic occupancy takes into account the collections and the bad debt and concessions, et cetera. Meaning if a tenant can't pay the rent, How much is that less? So when you think about that economic occupancy underwritten for most good, well-written multifamily deals, this 2% is nothing. Because we usually underwrite, especially the first year of takeover on a property, to be very high economic vacancy number for the first year. And we only after we stabilize the property that we even come down to something like a 10%. So even if there were 2% of tenants who didn't pay the rent, that is something the typical well underwritten multifamily asset can easily withstand and still do well in terms of having plenty of debt service coverage ratio and being able to afford to make all its payments. Mm-hmm.
3: You're an underwriter. So this is speaking to you. Linda's a CEO is an accountant. And so numbers are your thing. And you (laughs) mentioned, yeah, so I'll be honest, everybody listening, numbers are not my thing. So I like the returns. And I like I'm more of the I don't know, capital raiser, I guess, in the sense of I can sell the deal. I love the deal. I sit there and listen to the numbers and go, okay, that sounds pretty good. Do I have to know numbers? Do I have to be a whiz with math and, and division and the Excel spreadsheet and all that? How can you help me? Sanjay and Linda, both?
0: I would say just ask the basic questions is, let's mm-hmm. say rent collections drop and 10 more people mm-hmm. can't pay the rent in your apartment. Can you stand that? Can you still operate your apartment and make my distributions? Like how low? Mm-hmm. Have you done a, some kind of a stress test is a question I ask. How low can your numbers drop and for you mm-hmm. to still be able to pay all your mortgage and other obligations right. without having to come back for either a capital call? or apply for forbearance, right? So that's a stress test number I ask of everyone because we are in COVID times now. Yeah. And where is property currently operating it at Mm -hmm. today Mm -hmm. in the last 12 months? How has it done? And what is your stress test number to see if it can withstand? What is the worst case scenario it can withstand?
3: Gotcha, and it's a team sport. That's what I was trying to you know get to. It's like yes. you might be strong in one area, Linda's strong in another. Your your partner over here, you're in, is strong. We're talking about in terms of the uh, operator side. I guess we're getting a little bit off of uh, stock market, but it is a team sport, and you find people you trust who are excellent at what they do, and you partner up. Absolutely.
2: So listen, almost everyone has heard of or knows of someone who invests in the stock market, but commercial real estate investing appears to be a little more elusive. Sanjay, understanding that you have a wealth of experience in both areas of investing, are you able to share a little bit about why that is or at least why it appears that way?
0: I think for most of us, when we think of real estate, we think of single family homes and rental properties or maybe a flip. But we assume Mm -hmm. that these large apartments around us have to be only owned by super rich people, uh, billionaires, and ordinary people like us can never have a piece of it. I don't think passive investing in the apartment down the street from my house ever occurred to me until a friend told me about it. It's a largely hidden, unknown, not publicized way of investing. So I just don't think it's enough in the news. And uh, there's enough things written about it. There's not enough about it. And it's not mainstream because you always hear about rent and payments and single family from a perspective of a tenant, not as an investment tool compared to the stock market or other forms of investment. Anytime you think about real estate investments, it tends to be real estate funds or single family rentals. This in-between little niche has never been explored enough, I think. And it needs the word needs to get out because it's a fantastic pretty well recession-resistant way of investing that is one of the best ways to not have to trade your time for money and still get a very good risk-adjusted return relative to the volatility of the stock market.
3: Absolutely. And then we got to talk about taxes, Oh, the benefits between the two, right? I'm a CPA. I love talking about taxes.
2: Yes.
0: So if you are a real estate professional, qualified real estate professional, which is something that IRS has published the rules that you can look up, check with your accountant, there are a lot of depreciation benefits that you can get from a multifamily investment that you will not get from the stock market. So your passive losses can offset passive gains. Mm-hmm. And that way you get to defer when you have to pay mm-hmm. that, the taxes on that amount until later. So what am I talking about? So when you invest, let's say $50,000 into a passive investment in a multifamily investment, the apartments, especially the older ones, class Bs and Cs, et cetera, they tend to have a lot of equipment. And so you get depreciation on the life of that equipment. Uh, so if an air conditioner, for example, has a life of 10 years and this air conditioner is already four or five years old, well, you get the next few years depreciated, right? So. Due to a new tax law, you get to take all this depreciation right now in year one itself. So that number, usually in an investment of 50K, I've been typically getting anywhere from 70 to 80% of that as a K-1 loss. And so they give you that. An accounting firm does the taxes on this apartment building and then provides you with your statement for your investment. And so you can take that to your accountant and if it applies to you, you could offset some of your other gains from other investments with that money. And that's where the tax benefits come in, which has nothing to do with all the returns, et cetera, that you will still get from your multifamily investment. This is like a nice added bonus that some would qualify for.
2: Yes. And how does that compare to taxation of gains and losses to investments in the stock market.
0: Well, in the stock market, Mm -hmm. of course, when you make money, you just keep pushing yourself into higher and higher tax brackets and you pay more Mm -hmm. in taxes.
3: It's pretty clear, pretty
2: simple. Yeah, it is. And- And when you're invested in the stock market, as Sandia mentioned earlier, it's a paper gain and a paper loss. Unless you actually cash in on that share of stock that you own, you're not collecting any cash from the investment. And so when you're filing your taxes and you're reporting your gains and losses on the stock market, you're paying taxes on paper gains. You're not paying taxes on actual gains. Actual. Yeah. Whereas as Sandra mentioned, when you're investing in commercial real estate, you're actually taking advantage of depreciation laws and tax laws that allow you to apply those types of tax credits to your passive income, which is a win win for both the operator and the investor. Well said, Miss CPA. <laughs>
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Sandja, is there anything else we could end or give our listeners about investing in commercial real estate and the benefits pitfalls versus the stock market? I think I think we've said it all.
0: Yeah, the liquid versus the liquid is important to remember. Long term, if you think about volatility, that's another easy one. If you pick the right markets, real estate is great for that. The other thing about the stock market is what is your risk tolerance? right it really depends on each person what is your risk tolerance because for some people when you don't have the education in the stock market and you just take a friend's word and put it into something it's really a gamble so you're really gambling it's almost las vegas style so unless you've really done your education and your research in both ways in both the stock market as well as real estate i really think you're gambling with your money and that's not a good way to do it so again think about the time you spent researching before you bought an appliance for your kitchen And take the same amount and say, okay, I'm investing 10x that or 20x that, 100x that money when it comes to my stock market or real estate investment. So put in the time, and you'll find that in both cases, with risk adjusted returns, multifamily, especially in the right market, tends to outperform. All you have to do is look at the data we're back in 2008 crash, as well as now through COVID pandemic. And you'll see how recession resilient the right apartment investment can be in the right markets. Uh, the data is out there.
2: Excellent. One quick question for you, Sandra, before we wrap up. So and we're real estate investors, all of us. So are we suggesting that investors use the stock market or the multifamily real estate investing or consider it as part of your overall investment strategy?
0: For me, it's part of my overall investment strategy. I still have money in the stock market for the liquidity part of it for me to easily dip into if I needed cash. But at the same time, I think when I uh, know that, you know, our family is still OK with my husband's paycheck or my other forms of cash flow. I think about long term, which is at least three to five years down the line. I really mm-hmm. prefer multifamily for those types of investments. Like if I'm saving for college for my child to go later, those kinds of things really lend themselves well to multifamily because it's not immediate cash that I need. So I think for a well-balanced portfolio, I think mixing both is, uh, is the way to go.
3: Terrific. Can't thank you enough for taking the time to educate our passive investors, Sanja You've been, again, I say it over and over, but you really have been a wealth of information, knowledge, some inspiration. Where can our listeners get in touch with you?
0: They can visit my website, multifamily4u.com, where four is the number four, U is spelled out Y-O-U multifamily4you.com. If they provide their name and email address, they can get my passive investors checklist on how to vet a sponsorship team. And they can use that checklist to very carefully vet any investment opportunity they are considering before putting their hard-earned money into it.
2: Excellent. Of course, we'll post Sanja's information on our website, as well as the link to her website and access to her very comprehensive passive investor checklist. And thank you to our value listeners for tuning in each week. Be the first three people to contact us on our website at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. And we'll send you one of the best selling books on multifamily real estate investments out there. Thank you, Sanja, once again,
3: for joining us. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really love your topics and I look forward to listening to future episodes.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I'm Lisa Hill. And on behalf of my co-host, Linda Brooks, don't forget to provide a five-star review and like us on Facebook. Thanks, Emil, for listening.
1: For more information about today's episode, learn more about passive multifamily real estate investing or to reach Linda or Lisa directly, visit us on the web at multifamilyinvestorladies.com. Thanks a mill for joining the Multifamily Investor Ladies podcast sponsored by Berkwood Capital and Freedom Capital Investments. Your hosts, Lisa Hill and Linda Brooks, remind you it's never too late to get started on your multifamily real estate investing journey, and they'll show how to do it successfully as a passive investor. We'll see you next time.